the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God doesn't ever candy coat anyone's life. It tells us like it is. Hello and welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be sharing God's truth right from the Bible, teaching you life lessons you may not want to hear, but you need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study from the book of Genesis. Have you ever wanted to get away? You might be thinking, yeah, well, all this COVID thing for the last year, I'm dying to get away. So yes, we all have that desire to get away. I remember this one time I was uh, on Santa Monica Pier and I was down sharing Christ with people. I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again because it's just talking about getting away. And so I'm standing on the pier and I'm in that in between telling people about Jesus and I'm looking at this guy walking towards me, this tall guy, he's all tan, tattoos, cool sunglasses, and he's walking towards me. I'm thinking, I'm going to share Christ with that guy right there. Yeah, just come to Papa. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to share Christ. And then all of a sudden I notice as he's walking towards me, he's about 20 feet away, there's this guy next to him walking. He's just, you know, just real frumpy and he's just like a fish out of water. I mean, just pitch white, you know, just, you know, mid 40s, a little overweight, you know, just walking. And I'm thinking like, well, that guy doesn't look like he belongs anywhere down here at the beach, you know. And so I'm going to talk to the cool guy and they get right up to me and I just go to the frumpy guy. His name was Brian also. Anyway, so I, I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, how's it going? Well, my life's just messed up. In fact, three days ago, I live in Connecticut. I walked in, I quit my job, I took a box in, emptied out my desk, walked out, put clothes in my car, got in my car, I drove to California, I just got here. I pulled up to the pier, parked my car, and I'm walking on the pier. And I'm like, so, what you're telling me is you have midlife crisis, you're totally burned out, you don't know what you're going to do, you have no future for your life. And he's like, yeah, basically, and I said... You came to the right place. And so I just started sharing Christ with him. And we got a burrito. We started eating at the end of the pier. And we talked for two hours. And I just shared with him the meaning and purpose of life. And how God desires to know him. And at the end of two hours, he prayed with me as Christ in his heart as his Savior. He drove 3,000 miles to hear that message. But I think about how cool was it that I was there? I mean, like, you you can't write a script like this. I'm just thinking, like, how cool is this that God knew this guy was total burnout and there was nobody there in Connecticut that would pull that guy aside and share Christ with him? He had to drive 3,000 miles to hear the message. I think he got back in his car and went back to Connecticut. Anyway, yes, he wanted to get away. 
He wanted to get away from his job. He wanted to get away from life itself. And God knew his plight and his position. I wonder if you know anyone who wants to get away in the very same way. Anyone who's headed for total burnout. Someone who's just going through the motions here in life. Well, in this life, we're surrounded with people that are stuck in a rut. They're stuck in a place, in a position where there seems like there should be more to this life than what they're living. Or maybe they're facing the repercussions of some really bad decisions that they've made in their life. And now, through those bad decisions, it's starting to cost them. Those bad decisions now have turned sour. Well, as we pick up in our study here through the book of Genesis, we left off last time, as you remember, two weeks ago, with Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, the son who was dreaming extravagant dreams about his family coming to him and bowing down to him. The same son who told his father about the slack work habits of all of his older brothers. So between Joseph being the favorite son, a tattletale on his brothers, and telling everyone in his family the dreams that they were all going to bow down to him, Joseph had become public enemy number one in his family. In fact, the first few verses of the last chapter says they hated him. And then it says they hated him more. And then it says they hated him even more. Three times in the first few verses. Yes, the weather was just a little frigid in Jacob's house concerning his son, Joseph. But it wasn't Joseph's fault. It wasn't his fault that his dad had favored him over his older brothers. It wasn't his fault that he was the firstborn of Rachel, the love of his father Jacob's life and his heart. It wasn't his fault that he gave him incredible dreams, that God gave him those dreams. It wasn't his fault that his father made him a special multicolored robe that honored him over his brothers, a robe of obvious leadership. Joseph never asked for any of it. And when it came to being a tattletale, a snitch, a rat to his brothers, well, if his brothers just would have simply been working and doing what their father Jacob had told them to do, there wouldn't be anything to snitch on in the first place. And again, his dreams, the two that God gave him, were from God, giving him future insight on what was going to happen in his life. All Joseph did was share them with his family. Yet between all of it combined, it caused his brothers to be jealous and envious of him. Yes, we, you and me, must not allow jealousy, envy, and bitterness to take root in our hearts. It can cause us to think irrationally if we do. It causes us also to do senseless things. And that's exactly what happened for his older brothers. Because when they saw Joseph coming to them, as his father had sent them to check up on his brothers again, they said, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. And they were all just completely sick of their little brother 
and those dreams. Then his oldest brother, Reuben, had an idea to try to save the young man, and he talked his brothers into throwing him into a pit instead of killing him. And that was where he was going to come back later, pull him out, rescue him, and give him back to his father. And it all appeared that that's what was going to happen until he went off to go do some other duties. And his brother said, no, we're going to kill him. Let's Let's just get rid of this kid. But it was Judah, another brother, who suggested, well, let's not kill Joseph. Let's sell him. And right when he was talking about that, Ishmaelite slave traders were coming by, which they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. The Bible tells us that the average cost of a slave was 30 pieces, so they didn't even get full price for him. But he was saying, that is Judah, was telling his brothers, what profit is it to kill our brother and then cover up his blood? So they sold him. And when Reuben came back to deliver Joseph out of the pit, he was gone. And that's when they had to all agree to tell their father that Joseph was eaten by a wild animal. Now, we know that today there's no real wild animals in Jerusalem and Israel, but there was in this time. There was lions that were plentiful there. And so they said, hey, he got ate by a lion. So they killed a goat, drained the blood out of a goat, took his multicolored robe, dipped it in the blood, and they showed it to their father, Jacob. And they said, is this the the jacket that you made for your son. And he's looking at it. Yes, it is. Oh my goodness. And Jacob's heart was broken. It was crushed. As we know from earlier studies, his mother, that is Joseph's mother and the favorite bride of Jacob, Rachel had passed away when she was having her second son, Benjamin. And so he treasured those two children, Joseph and Benjamin. And with him dying, what appears to be dying, and ate by a wild animal, he was crushed and nobody could comfort him. Everyone tried to console him, but nothing worked. The Bible says that Jacob refused to be comforted. Yes, he was simply heartbroken. And the last verse of chapter 37 leaves off with Joseph again being sold to Potiphar. We looked at that in our last study. He was one of Pharaoh's officers. He was the captain of the bodyguard, Potiphar was. And that's where we left off. But now you would think we would naturally pick up there, right, in Joseph's life. But we don't. We will pick up again in Joseph's life in chapter 39. But before we get to chapter 39, we must first go through chapter 38, where God gives us a little detour, you could say, to tell us a story that deals with Joseph's older brother, Judah. Now, this is important because out of the 12 sons of Jacob, who God renamed Israel, God picked Judah and his bloodline that would lead to the coming Messiah, Savior, who was Jesus. Remember, Jesus is referred to in the book of Revelation as the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Yes, Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. So today, we will see that Judah was far from, well, perfect, 
Kind of like, well, me and you. <laughs> he was a man that in many ways took after his father Jacob. And this is what I love about the Bible. God doesn't ever candy coat anyone's life. It tells us like it is. It records all of its heroes in 3D. What does that mean? It just means that we see everyone warts and all. It doesn't just give us all the wonderful news. It gives us all the news, good and bad. This is why the Bible tells us in the New Testament that everything that is written in times past, talking about the foundation of God's word in the Old Testament is written for our instruction so that we can learn from the blessings and the mistakes of those who walked with God before us. I don't know about you, but with me, sometimes the best way for me to learn something is not from watching someone do it right, but watching someone do it wrong and then having to pay for the repercussions of doing it wrong. And you think, wow, they got body slammed on that. I don't want that to happen to me. So sometimes I learn from the mistakes more than doing it right. So with that in mind, we will consider three points in light of our title, Getting Away. Number one, choosing to depart. We're going to see Judah pack up and leave his family and go out on his own for a while. Number two, we're going to see choosing to not obey. Well, Judah's going to get married and his kids, a couple of them, are not going to obey God and they're going to get body slammed for it. And number three, choosing to confess. Yes, Judah's going to get caught in a pretty big mess, but he confesses and admits and owns up to it. So let's look at our first point, choosing to depart. As we read, starting in Genesis chapter 38, we'll pick up, of course, in verse 1. And it says, And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Harah. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her, meaning he got married to her. Verse 3, so she conceived and bore a son and named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. Then she bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Chesbed that she bore him. Now, Judah took a wife for Ur and his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. All right, well, let's stop there for a second, because we just zipped by 20 years of time in six verses. So here, yes, it was time for Judah to depart. It was time for him to get away, you could say. Maybe he was upset over everything that happened with his little brother Joseph after seeing the hardship of his father. Maybe he thought about how calloused his brothers were for wanting to kill Joseph. Maybe he also wanted to just, well, get out and get out on his own, get married and cut his own path in life. Well, we're not sure exactly why he left of all the reasons, but he did want to get away. But one thing for sure, he packed his bags and he departed from his father, his mother, his brothers, and his sister. And he went to this place called Adullam. Now, 
This will be a significant place in the future of Israel here, this place called Adullam. For this is where David found refuge when he was fleeing from King Saul, who wanted to kill David because he was jealous of him. You remember why he was jealous? Because he slaughtered the giant named Goliath, Mr. Fee-Fi-Fo-Fong. He dropped him like a bad habit. And then he went out to kill the Philistines and help deliver Israel. And so the women would come out and sing, Saul, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And he was like, oh my goodness, they're giving more you know, credit to David than me. It's because he's a more faithful man than you, and he's done more than you. But anyway, so King Saul wanted to kill David. So David was on the run. And so David ran to this place called Adullam. Now, Adullam in the Hebrew means refuge. And that's what it became to David. But not just David. He wasn't the only one that found rest there. It was a place that God used in David's life to mold and to make him into who God desired David to be. You know, sometimes we need those times of hardship and difficulty. Many of you might be thinking, well, pastor, speak for yourself. Because I don't need any more hardship and difficulty in my life. I've been going through this COVID thing for the last year, and I'm sick of hardship and difficulty. So you might be thinking, no, speak for yourself. And I will have to say back to you, well, you're absolutely wrong. There's times that we need hardship and difficulty in our life to shake us up. Because what that does, hardship causes us to focus on what God's perfect plan and purpose is for our life. And we have to be shaken up. See, when things are going perfect, we got tons of money in the bank. We got our three-week vacation planned to Tahiti. And all of these things are working perfect. It's like we have life on cruise control. And usually in those times, God is on the back burner. But when hardship presents itself to us and it comes at the threshold of our life and it comes barging into our life when we don't want it when we didn't ask for it it's in those times that we are forced by by the hardship and by the difficulty and the circumstances that have turned sour to fall on our face before God and cry out to him you will never find a time in your life that you are closer to God than in those times when hardship has forced you into his presence For our great God, he loves us, and he desires great things in our life. But in many cases, we simply are not available to listen to what his plans and purposes are for us when everything is going so wonderful. Have you ever wondered why when Jesus was talking to the seven churches in the book of Revelation that are there in chapters 2 and 3, those churches represent every single person alive in these last days. In fact, you can take every person alive today, all 7.5 billion people on planet earth, and each and every one of us will be represented In those seven churches, meaning those seven churches all have issues. There's problems that they have. There's issues. And so Jesus points out what the issues are in all seven of those churches. So if we take our life on who we are, the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we represent ourselves, it will be demonstrated in those seven churches. And we can all be seen in at least one 
or more of those seven churches. And again, it was not good things that were in there. And we can find those flaws in our lives. But one thing that Jesus said repeatedly to those seven churches is he said this. He who has an ear, or he could say, she who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. See, so Jesus wants to get our attention. Now hear this. Now hear this. Like, do you have an ear to hear what God has to say to you? Because if you want to know the truth, if you really want to have life inside of this life, if you really want to know me, Jesus says, stop listening to all the noise that is around you. Stop listening to all the social media. Stop listening to all the news and listen to me and what I have to say in my word and do what I say to do. See, David seemed to have an ear to listen when he went to Adullam. Once he went to Adullam, he was in that place of refuge. But what drove him there? What drove them there was a crazy king was trying to kill him with all the armies of God. He was running with fear. His heart was filled with anxiety. He didn't know what to do and where to turn. First Samuel 22 said that everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented in life, they gathered themselves to David there at Adullam, this place of refuge. Yes, there seemed to be a draw to David's desperation. And they were all drawn in his desperation. Yes, many gathered to David in that place of refuge. I wonder where you find your refuge here today. When you're down and out, when you go back to the things, you know, that you did once before, because that's what a lot of times Christians do. It's like, you know, I'm just not getting anywhere in my Christian walk. I'm just kind of a little bummed out. I thought it was going to be a little bowl of cherries coming to Christ. It's not so much. I'm having to deal with this problem and that problem. So where do you find your refuge? Do you again go back to the things that you're doing before? Trying to find refuge and bring you happiness of the things that you did before you came to know Christ? Maybe today you're on the side of desperation and you're looking for some sort of refuge. Yet you're not sure where to turn. Well, the author of Psalm 42, he felt the same way that you could be feeling here today. Because three times he asked himself, why are you in despair, O my soul? See, it's good to hold your feelings accountable. It's good to hold your emotions accountable. Sometimes you just wake up. You don't even want to get out of bed. You don't even want to pull the covers over your head and just lay there and just like don't want to deal with anything. All this COVID, all this problems, all this. It's like you're just like, oh, man, I just don't even want to mess with it anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it's like, so you have to hold your emotions and your feelings accountable. You got to get up and look at yourself in the mirror and say, why are you in despair, oh, my soul? Why are you so bummed out? It's like, no, you don't just go to the doctor and take more drugs. It's like, wait a second, why? I'm going to hold you accountable. Why are you in despair? Because the psalmist of Psalm 42, he was agitated. He was upset. He was surrounded by trouble. 
Yet he knew where to turn. That's why he said in Psalm 42, 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. Notice he didn't say, as the camel pants after the water brooks, because the camel doesn't pant after the water brooks. Do you know that a camel can go like a whole week in 100 degree weather and not drink one drop of water? It's because when he does drink, he can drink like, you know, 200 gallons of water and he just stores it in his body. So he can walk across a desert for a week and not take one drink. But that's not how the deer is. The deer is like you and me. We have to have a drink. In fact, if a human being doesn't have water for three days, you die. So we have to drink. We have to have that water that refreshes us. Yes, camels don't long after the water brook, but those Deers do because they're just like us, just like us. Yes, and how did the writer end Psalm 42? Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Again, this is the third time he's asking himself. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. That's the answer for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. 